Cracks and Pomo will be releasing a zine featuring a variety of writers, some of whom have been featured on this podcast. To order a copy or to make a contribution to our funds, please DM at Cracks and Pomo. Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, join Stephen Adubato and Reverend Alex Evangelista for a listening party and conversation about Bad Bunny. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Hi, welcome to the HTI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Steve Nadabato. I'm a professor of philosophy and a freelance writer. And I'm here today with Alex Evangelista, who is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary and currently is a pastor at the Church on the Mall in Plymouth Meeting outside of Philly in Pennsylvania. So Alex, I'm excited to be doing this with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Alex, tell us, um, First, tell us a little bit more about your own background. And then, you know, since we're going to be not only discussing, but hosting a listening party, um, listening to Bad Bunny's music, tell us a little bit also how you got into, into Bad Bunny. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, it's a big question. So I'm a Salvadorian immigrant uh, raised in California. Um, I grew up Baptist. Uh, in, a, in a small town called Tulare in the Central Valley, so south of Fresno. So I remember, um, and then uh, around when I was nine years old, my parents got divorced. So single mom raising us um, was quite the upbringing. And living in Tulare, that was, I think, 64% Latinx, uh, there was always Latin music playing around me. Um, but really, like, I would listen, I would know all the classics to some extent, um, but really didn't listen to it much myself. Like, you know, part of my upbringing was, I felt like a little bit like surviving. So a lot of music came into my life, I think a lot more later when I was actually, you know, focusing a little bit more on it. Really enjoyed um, uh, music myself, specifically like jazz. So I became a, I started learning saxophone, you know, in middle school and then became first tenor when I was in high school. Um, Can I ask you, what was it about jazz that spoke to you in particular? Oh, that's a great question. I think um, the creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, I never really thought it thought deeper about this. Probably the fact that it transcended language. Mm-hmm. I think you know, being um, Spanish being my first language, it was really hard at first adapting to a, a whole world where especially in a town that was quite conservative, speaking Spanish was kind of looked down upon. Um, it felt like a language that my, in my jazz band was quite diverse that we could all speak communally. Maybe that was a part of it. I think I also really just enjoyed the creativity and the imagination that could come with um, creating something new every time you're gathering, you know, what you practice in the band room compared to what you do at a, you know, festival you know, it, it can just be so different. Yeah. So. Interesting. <clears throat> and then, um, go ahead. No, no. So then, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, jazz, thinking about classical, classic Latin American music to Bad Bunny, you know, it's a little bit of a shift. So like, what was your way into Bad Bunny, who's much more contemporary, really has his own, his own vibe going on? Yeah, that's a big jump. So I think, and because I grew up very, um, very uh, evangelical conservative mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, I was really, I would always kind of have this attitude of um, outright rejection of anything uh, contemporary, cultural, non-Christian, I guess you could say. Um, it was when I went to Azusa Pacific, which was my alma mater, Christian University on the West Coast. One of my classes in, I did theolo- theology and biblical studies one of my classes, we were having to engage with 
um, the class was called Culture and Ministry, if I remember correctly. And we had to look at top 10 songs hmm. and do a presentation on like kind of breaking them down. Wow. And I think I was maybe the fifth project in, you know, so the first project, um, my, it was a good colleague of mine, uh, did Swimming Pools okay. by Kendrick. Wow. And so I remember hearing the song, of course, in college, but then hearing the breakdown and seeing how Kendrick um, wasn't actually glorifying drinking. He was making a critique of it. And like even this inner monologue he has specifically in verse two, yeah, yeah. right? That's like, I'm trying to save you, Kendrick. Um, but then you get all this peer pressure. That was the first time that I began to realize, wow, you know, music can be such an interesting act of resistance. It can be a voice of critique. Um, yeah. So that kind of began that journey for me um, to really kind of begin to unpack that because then I also was reading on the other hand, something like, you know, like Augustine and confessions yeah. in the city of God. And like, arguably maybe Augustine being the first Christian social critic, you know? And so I was starting to make these parallels specifically just with, you know, uh, music that people listen to and that really resonates with people. So that was the beginning of that shift happened a little bit more in seminary too. When, of course, when Kendrick released his Timpimba Butterfly, it was the mix of both worlds I was falling in love with, jazz yeah. and hip hop. Wow, that's a perfect combination. Then. Perfect combination album. for me. That album, I mean, I love Good Kid, Mad City, and I still think it's a classic. Um, I mean, many will say it's a classic. To me, my favorite still is To Pimp a Butterfly. Okay. Um, and so once I started doing that, it was really more in seminary that I began to, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, we, here, let me try to, let me try to think. It's so early in the morning and I haven't had coffee. Um, reclaim. It was around seminary when I started really reclaiming more of my own Latinx heritage, culture, identity, and living more into it. Because I think for so long, you know, being, growing up in mostly Anglo church, same with the university, mostly, you know, white Christian university. Um, I always felt like I had to like be a chameleon and pretend like I wasn't Latinx. Mm -hmm. And then it was really in seminary. That I was like, you know, I really need to just start reclaiming my identity and living into it. Um, and of course, like saying, studying liberation theology, et cetera. Like it was just, I felt more empowered to really live into it. And I was like, what if I took my love for this lens of looking at hip hop and how it could be, you know, they can be social critics. They can be criticizing Christianity as well at times. Um, what if I took that over to my love now? Because I started falling in love with salsa, bachata. Uh, most random story. I learned how to dance salsa when I did a year in Scotland. Oh, wow. From a guy from That's Croatia. A, <laughs> a guy from Croatia who taught LA style salsa. So it was like so random. chances. <laughs> and I fell in love with it. And so just started listening to everything. Uh, Bad Bunny, of course, was making his rise during that time. And that's when I started paying a little bit more attention to what he was saying. Um, I remember it was maybe 2020, 2019, maybe 2021. I was having a conversation with a friend. And we were talking kind of like we're talking today about like how music can, can be empowering, can be criticizing you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and he was kind of unpacking his thoughts on Bad Bunny kind of being um, that voice in the Latinx world. And I was like, interesting. So I started paying more close attention. And of course, when Un Verano Sinti dropped, mm -hmm. I was like, you, you could just see a lot of the elements there that uh, really made me realize he's doing amazing work that I think speaks to a new generation. And then um, that just resonated a lot with my own journey of what I've been thinking when it comes to music and how it empowers me and helps me criticize and gives me a new lens. Hmm. Yeah. So when I when I hear you recounting your story, I find there's my earlier days where I would say kind of the inverse of yours, and yet 
I think we come to this point where we converge because my family was not very religious, not very conservative. Um, and for me, music was really what made me start to ask these big questions about life, mm. about meaning, about, you know, if, if there is a God, who is God and what does God want from me? And I think my way into that was um, mostly soul music, R&B music, because my father, he would always be playing Motown. My mother was very big on disco. And then because I was growing up in that environment, which is very deeply rooted in the gospel tradition, this tradition of the spirituals, which are explicitly um, born of this experience of suffering, this, uh, this oppression, and yet this hope that there's, you know, that there's a God who promises us liberation, right. happiness. Um, so, but no, even in the more contemporary soul music, even in the, the R&B music that I grew up with, um, you know, like early 2000s, there are still traces of this spiritual tension between suffering, longing, speaking of Augustine, you know, that restless heart. But also, again, there, there's a hope. There's this, this, this sense that even in my suffering, even if we're just talking about heartbreak, there's this sense that, okay, there's, there's something more than this. There's something beyond this mm. present moment of suffering. And I couldn't have articulated that when I was in high school, but something in my soul, I guess, like something resonated because within my own experience of, of suffering, also, you know, my parents divorced when I was very young that experience of, of division, of instability as a kid, I knew that I wanted something that could heal me, something that could promise me that, yeah, even though there are difficulties in life, that there, there is a point, there is, there is a purpose to this all. Um, and I, I could hear it, like I could hear within these, these singers that they were expressing that same longing that I had and, and they intuited there's something more and I really wanted to find it. So it was through really delving into, you know, the catalog of older soul music, contemporary R&B music, that like that's what really spurred my spiritual journey and, and eventually to encounter Christian communities that that became really, um, in a sense, became proof that like God is present, that wow. God, mm -hmm. the Father sent Jesus to be amongst us in the flesh. And so it's like what I was listening to in the music, it became a reality through Christian community. Um, but when it comes to reggaeton, what I found, like, I don't know, like I, I grew up in a very, very cozy, suburban, very Anglo environment. Um, so I, the only reggaeton song I knew was Gasolina when it came out in 2004, because everybody around the world knew that song. Um, right, right. And when I heard it, I was like, okay, this is, this rhythm is really fascinating because yeah, in a way, reggaeton is borrowing a little bit from hip hop, borrowing from Bombay Plena, mostly a derivative of dance hall, Jamaican reggae dance hall. So it's, it's an interesting combination um, and it's, it's captivating when you first hear it. Um, so, I mean, I only knew Daddy Yankee, but then when I went to college, I was around more people with Latin American descent, I did hear a lot more reggaeton. And again, the rhythm, it spoke to me. And uh, it spoke to me in that new phase of life that I was in as a young adult going into college. And what I heard that was a little bit different in the reggaeton, be different from, again, soul music, R&B, is there's this, um, there's this tension, there's this buildup within the dembo, you know, which is the, the drum pattern that that's Right. Inherent to all reggaeton songs. Um, and you hear in this tension, there's, in a way, there is a longing for something. There's this, um, you're, you're waiting for some kind of uh, fulfillment, some kind of resolution. And it's, I felt like it was much more intense, much more dramatic than the way that that longing is expressed in R&B. So it's a little bit more peaceful, a little more smooth in R&B. But in reggaeton, it's like, no, like I really... Speak, again, speaking of Augustine in his earlier years, that intense passion he had, the long right, of right. the flesh, that I heard embodied in the Dembo rhythm. So it, it, again, like, sure, there are plenty of themes in reggaeton that, you know, may run contrary to, to our values, to our faith. But the fact that there is this fundamental spiritual longing that's expressed, like, that I enabled me to go deeper into my own faith and understand, like, Again, how does God answer all the longings of our flesh, of our heart, of our soul? 
Um, so when Bad Bunny came out, you know, he's he was doing something very interesting, not only doing reggaeton, doing trap, and then eventually adding in other genres. But what I what really draws me to him um, is that he's there's this boldness, like he he goes all the way, he goes for it. Um, he makes statements that are outrageous sometimes, absurd, but really forces you to stop and think like, okay, you know, who are we as human beings, but also what's going on in our society? Even if you don't agree with what he's doing or the conclusions he comes to, I think he really forces us to confront these big questions about, again, us as individuals, but the society we live in. Um, and the fact that he's been the number one artist on Spotify, what, almost three years now? Almost three years now, yeah. Um, he's got our attention. He's, he's really captivated the globe. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not, I, I imagine like a lot of people just listen to him for entertainment. But I think if you go deeper, if you ask again, what is he saying? What, what is this music really about? it has the power, it has the potential to really open our eyes to a lot of important realities that need to be discussed, that need to be examined. So that's that's a little bit more of my background, but let's get more into like the specific songs that, that speak to you. What, I don't know, like which songs first come to mind that are you know the most powerful, the most uh, interesting with Bad Bunny's catalog? Um... I feel like for me it was El Apagón. Okay. That one, I think, um, when, uh, if I recall, so I, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, maybe not when we officially started, but um, uh, one of the conversations I had uh, with the editor of the Presbyterian Outlook when trying to figure out what I was going to write on was on uh, writing on Bad Bunny and ultimately ended up writing on why I thought uh, listening to Bad Bunny is an act of resistance, um, an act of resistance to uh, suffering, seeming like it's going to be forever, knowing that there's a hope and the liberation that God, we claim in our God. Um, an act of resistance in the midst of oppression. And so I, I come up with this, this you know, article, and as soon as it, I give it to her, um, uh, to Terry Ott, uh, it was that Friday that El Apagón music video came out. And it was just so, uh, I, I remember sending you a text. I'm like, you got to go watch this because, right, if I remember correctly, right, the, it's the music video and then it goes into a documentary, mm-hmm. which I think was directly to me speaking to what I think he does. He He uses music and sometimes it's like coded if you're not listening well enough, but um, as at, I think at that point, political, maybe social critique. Um, and then also allows for that moment to, to give more space to also what could we do next? So it's not just like, mm-hmm. let's just wait for uh, liberation to come. I, I'm also sensing in, in, in Bad Bunny, there's a drive in him that says, yes, music can be an escape. Music can be an empowerment. Um, music can also go into actual action and when i saw those videos of the party of the year that he threw you know that's what they were calling it um or even when he did a party at the top of the gas station like he does stuff like this that i'm just like this is so amazing that's the one that sticks out to me because i know this is an ongoing issue that happens in puerto rico yeah it's it's interesting what you're saying about how he's able to take what's you know uh, a perfect song for parties, a celebratory song, but also to call into question certain social and political issues. Um, and that that mix of the, you know, the social critique and the celebratory, again, this tension between suffering and hope, this, yeah, right. this um, impulse to, to find solutions, to, to create solidarity, you know. Um, so I, I'm going to try to pull up the video it's uh, as as Alex just said. It's a whole documentary that follows. So only play a little bit. I'm gonna try Pull to it up, sh- and I can't remember. Uh, please, please do uh, name the um, the reporter who does the documentary. Um, I know that she's a she's a big reporter in in Puerto Rico. Uh, but I also the reason why I knew about her when I saw the music video was because of TikTok. 
she she's gone kind of viral on tiktok which is really interesting um there's a lot of coverage of uh puerto rico stuff there yeah it's amazing how um he's able to generate such uh I don't know, there's always a public spectacle surrounding Bad Bunny, whether it's on TikTok, Instagram, on the VMAs, like he's, he just finds a way to captivate people's attention. You know, you just, you have to look. So I don't know, what stands out to you? What do you see here? Um, so I pulled up some of the comments I remember writing down a while back. Uh, Izzy Ramirez had this thing that stuck with me for a while after, especially after seeing this. And she says, as bad's bunny, as bad as bad's bunnies, celebrity exponentially grows. This shows where a refreshing reminder of what and who reggaeton is for. Bad bunny didn't leave Puerto Rico behind as he ascended the charts. He brought it with him. And like, hmm. so when I, when, I, when I saw that, like, it is like such excitement, jubilee, gosh, maybe that's the right word. Um, a good one yeah uh that in the midst of i think collective grief and sorrow and anger you know for for all the uh, social ills happening in puerto rico uh here is this uh this anthem of resistance uh that i i, I could see empowering borinqueños to act for change i mean that's what i'm looking at when yeah. i see that like uh reminds me in the midst of social ills uh you know Miriam singing uh in exodus and, and mm. mary singing in 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 uh and luke you know here you know the, the liberation is yet to come fully or fully realized but singing and in, in songs become an act of resistance you know i think that's what i'm seeing there yeah, what about you no, the, I mean, the, the visuals are awesome. It's powerful because he's, he's mixing scenes from the lives of everyday people to these historical drawings and uh, the news images. But I want to talk about the, the music itself, though, because I don't know, like when we're, when we're analyzing the, the deeper meaning, the spirituality with this song, the lyrics sure say something, but the, the rhythm, it's, it's fascinating because again you have the the are the um, dembo the reggaeton bass eventually it's going to go into house music when um in the middle of the song but the real foundation of this particular one is it's bomba y plena which is you know a traditional puerto rican style of music derived from west coast of africa and traditionally is played within spiritual religious context you know tradition um traditional like African fertility cults mm. make use of these drum patterns to evoke a sense of the spirits present within um, within their midst. So it's uh, when you're talking about the sense of hope within the the struggle in Puerto Rico, especially after the hurricane and all the political issues that ensued. What a perfect genre to be incorporating into such a song mm. because again there's this there's an excitement there's a joy that jubilee as you say within this rhythm but but again there's there's a spiritual reality that he's trying to tap into that it's not just our human effort that brings about a solution to these political issues there's something more that if we want real joy we have to look also beyond ourselves even beyond the government and politics to find it so i don't right. know i think what he's doing musically rhythmically it's uh it's very powerful so i'm curious um because i was going to mention uh, when you stopped it i was like oh you stopped it right before the best part um because it's uh it reminds me of um frank ocean's nights <laughs> when there's like there's these two different songs in one song this song like i'm always when i'm listening to the beginning of it I know the house music is going to come in. So like you said, there's a sense of, and I never named it until you're, you're, you're kind of bringing this up to my attention. I'm always like anticipating and like, um, there's a sense of like, okay, I know I have to experience this before I get to the house music. Like mm -hmm. it's what makes that moment better. <laughs> you know, if that just came up as a song, it wouldn't be able to experience it in the same way. Uh, so there's a sense of anticipation and, um, 
and as soon as the house music comes it doesn't last that long either it's like a very short portion if i recall of the song um i'm curious so this is the first time i'm ever thinking about this um so when there was conversations about best album of the year right uh I was really hoping it was either going to be Renaissance or, or Un Verano Senti. Like, I would have been fine with either one. Um, don't even want to talk about the winner. But, you know, like, <laughs> it happened. It happens a lot with the Grammys. But I remember the conversation around Renaissance as well was this, um, just like uh, Beyonce specifically invoking dance music and some of those roots because of some of maybe what you're getting to with some of Bad Bunny, like the those acts of resistance, the, the fact that it's, um, it's maybe wanting to live in that tension. And I, I guess I've never thought about the fact that Bad Bunny is incorporating, because I never thought about the first half mm-hmm. as in itself, a possible act in itself that's meaning to invoke. And he's putting both acts together in this one song, these two different traditions that are meant to awaken something in us. Um, is that part of what you're seeing here is specifically with those two different genres coming in? Yeah, because I think the the beginning is a little more, it's like the tension is, it's resolved. Not, I don't want to say totally resolved, but like there's, um, there's a joy, there's a happiness there. Whereas in the house music, I don't know if I'd describe it as happy per se, but it's, there's that, again, that dramatic expectation for happiness you're you're trying it's like you're you're trying to reach for it because i don't know think about it, like the fist uh, house music is fist pumping music like you're supposed to you know go crazy to it and it's like you're you're demanding something like you want the answer whereas the bone mine playing that's like okay now we're celebrating so it's again it's he's highlighting these different elements within the human spirit these different emotions these different feelings we can have um so it's yeah i love that he's always pulling us back and forth in his music you know you think that there's a sense of maybe escape yeah there's like there's a there's a value in having those spaces and that's what house music initially when it emerged was about because i mean you know you had disco which collapsed commercially but then they kind of pick up on the same uh, rhythmic patterns with house. And who is it who's listening to it? It's mostly oppressed communities who are, there is, you know, there are plenty of people who seek, who try to deal with the oppression through explicit political activism, through spirituality, religious community. But in house, it was more of this, like this otherworldly escape. So predominantly, Black communities, Latin Americans, queer communities, who are there like, you know what, we right now, we're not in a place to, to address the suffering, to get involved in political activism. We just, we wanna go somewhere else. We wanna go to the club. We just wanna dance. We wanna forget our problem for some time. And it's interesting because speaking of Beyonce and Renaissance, a lot of reviewers were saying, this is the perfect album coming out of the quarantine because you know there's all kinds of stuff we're dealing with. Right. right now. Sometimes we don't want to get into the politics. We don't want to be checking our social media feed and the news. Sometimes we just want to dance and forget that a lot of crazy things are going on. So there's definitely that aspect of that, the house piece of the of the song, you know. Yeah, and <laughs> especially in that moment, um, they're in a blackout. And like there's really nothing you can do in that moment except maybe just dance and have a party of the year with your friends until the next morning. (laughs) Yeah, and finding joy, having hope, even within a pretty difficult, annoying situation, the blackout, you know, even knowing the, again, the hardships that it's going to bring long-term, while we can, let's dance. You know, let's, let's remember that life is still a gift, that it's something positive, that God is present, even in, again, the unideal situation. Um, but no, but I, I did want to highlight one of the things for me that stands out in, in all of Bad Bunny's catalog is um, on one hand, there are songs where he's very transparent about his disillusionment with life, his sense that he doesn't have meaning, he doesn't have hope and he wants it, but often doesn't know where to turn. Um, so for example, on his first uh, studio album, 
there's the song Rolandito, which takes its name from a young kid who went missing in Puerto Rico. I think he must have been seven years old back in the mm. 90s. And he's using this as a metaphor for his identity, that he's lost himself, you know, after gaining fame so quickly. It was, it was a rapid rise to fame. Um, he's like, okay, who am I? I don't even know anymore. And he's, he talks about spirituality. He's like, you know, should I pray to God? Should I look to astrology? Should I... I don't know what to do. Um, so there are these moments when he's very transparent, even, even in these heartbreak songs where he's like, you know, I want to be loved, but is it possible to have a lasting love? Is there someone who can really give my life that meaning, that value that I, I long for? Yeah, Augustinian kind of restlessness. But then he oscillates to this opposite extreme of like, you know, I just want to forget it all. I just want to indulge in all these passions. I want to go crazy. And you see, like, in some of the songs, like, if you take Safaera, when he talks about sexuality, it's, it's absurdist. Like, he's doing all these wild, crazy things that and nobody's actually doing. But it's not, I don't know, when, when you speak about, like, growing up in a conservative environment where secular music is questioned, when I hear those songs, like, on a certain level, I'm scandalized. I'm like, are you, are you seriously saying you're going to do all those things with a girl? It's insane. But then you're like, okay, that's... It's not, if you read it literally, that's not what he's trying to say. Like the absurdism is trying to speak to this need to escape, this need to kind of distract yourself from this existential despair, this loneliness. Um, so no, I, and I, I think you have to have a certain level of spiritual maturity listening to him. Cause like if a young kid's like, oh yeah, I wanna go do all those things in the song. No, I mean, I would never advise someone to do that. But when you hear the song, you should say, yeah, like, where do I see myself trying to escape, trying to distract myself? Um, what are healthy ways to explore this existential despair, the, the longing for meaning? Who can help me seek the answers? And, and again, like there are songs where he's saying that. So it's, it's interesting this back and forth that we see throughout all of his album. You know? Yeah, and I, I sense from him, and I'll have to be honest, I have, I have to, I've listened to more of his newer stuff than really like research and focus on his older stuff. But from what I recall, he's had quite a maturing journey himself yeah. Yeah. from, I think, if I recall back in the day when he was coming out, you know, reggaeton's typical um, culture of, you know, being misogynistic, you know, and having a, a, a really big presence in reggaeton when I think of where Bad Bunny is now, he's, he's, he's on the other side of that critiquing it now. Mm. And I think I've seen within him the ability to even like as listeners see that change happen mm -hmm. and him become very vocal about it. I think part of that stands out. Um, I had another thought in my head, but it escaped me. Mm. I see what you're saying though. Like there's this, there's definitely this trajectory towards a deeper self-awareness, deeper consciousness of his own journey. And I, one of my favorite songs that I, I want to play from Let's hear it. Yeah. So in Titi Me Pregunto, it's interesting because he merges these two kind of conflicting poles into one song, which again, I think speaks to the fact that he understands like I'm conflicted, I'm oscillating back and forth between extremes. So the beginning of the song, he's, you know, he's partying, he's living it up, he's hanging out with all these girls, and they're, they're, <laughs> I guess the revolving theme, the song that the, the theme that the song revolves around is, you know, his aunt's like, okay, what are you doing with all these girls? When are you going to settle down and get married? Um, right. And in the beginning, he's like, he's kind of like laughing her off. There's a point where he's like, he's in the club dancing with these girls and he's like, oh, let's take a selfie and we'll send it to my, my titi, my aunt. Um, but then in the middle, we have the voicemail message from his aunt. And then the song goes much more towards a gloomy kind of feeling. Yeah. yeah. And he admits like, you know, um, he's not really happy doing living this kind of libertine indulgent lifestyle you know he says yo quisiera enamorarme pero no puedo i would like to fall in love i'd want something meaningful and lasting pero no puedo i can't so 
you see he's he's aware he's aware that there's this time so you see here that he's you know again he's thinking about what his aunt said to him but he's kind of you know brushing it off he just wants to have a good time again send the aunt a selfie but we're you know i'm gonna still hang out with these girls then we get to the part where he listens to his aunt's full voicemail message and that's when he starts asking you know i'd like to fall in love but i can't you know there's something blocking me there's something blocking me from reaching this this ideal this fulfillment you know so the other thing he says is that he doesn't even trust himself like so there's again there's this awareness right that yeah he alone doesn't have the answers that there's you know there's this limitation there's this block within him you know but I'm wondering, Alex, when you see this part when he's kind of, while he's on the phone with his aunt and then these hooded people, you know, drag him into this van, what do you think that symbolizes? What do you think is going on in that moment? I mean, uh, literally, he's getting captured. Um, metaphorically, the voicemail mm. captured him, captured him in a moment, captured him in his thoughts. Yeah, you know, my like outlandish interpretation when I see that, because it's not the only time that like someone's like put a bag over his head, like in the video for, um, it was one of the earlier singles where, where something like that happened. I think it's in a way a metaphor of like his, the fact that he rose so rapidly to fame and that now like as much as yes he's very creative like he is in the hands of these very powerful corporate elites the, the record industry um who in a way i wonder how much he views his spiritual struggle his attempt to find his identity and his fulfillment is hindered by his being dependent on these these elites these people who have so much power and and yeah like do determine the course of his career do tell him you know what direction to go in so I don't know, perhaps it's them like trying to, like he's searching for the answers, he's searching for himself, but then they grab him, they take him to, you know, to do whatever they think is going to be most marketable. Could be, could not be, but I don't know. I mean, there, there might be something there. No, I, I really like it because you can't be, uh, you can't be too outright because you're going to piss off the wrong people. You know, it's a, yeah. It reminds me of apocalyptic literature. You can't, yeah. you can't just straight up call out Rome. You got to use metaphor yeah. and say Babylon, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's too outlandish. Goodness. Do you? I, I had a question for you as you've been uh, sharing because I think I, I myself, and hopefully the listeners too. I, I'm, I'm learning a lot from our conversation. Really appreciate you sharing your insights. I am curious how much of this do you think bad bunny is really attentive of attempting to uh how much of that because i think to myself like some of these beats are just maybe ingrained in your bones that maybe you're not thinking about it too much mm -hmm. do you think there's actual intentional thought of what he's doing with the music that has some of these historical roots intentional thought Honestly, no. I think on a deeper internal level of his soul, yeah, he his soul knows what's going on. Like he intuits that there's something within this music. There's something, again, this tension pulling him in different directions. I don't think he could articulate that or would articulate that, but on a deep level, I think he feels it within, you know. Uh, and I think, again, anybody who listens closely and, and is asking these questions, is saying, yeah, what impact is this having on me? What is it, what kind of emotions is it bringing out of me? I think anyone could really come to understand how profound his music actually is. If you take the time to step back and say, yeah, what, what is this really about? Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, and I think that's what um, you, because I think that's where, right, his inner spirit maybe is driving that the spirit might be driving that mm -hmm. um where it, it you know it, it's people outside of oneself that are like reading into it that can find so much deeper meaning in it um gosh i mean that i feel like that reminds me of like scripture there's yeah. so many things in scripture that you know would they have thought this maybe not but as we're reading now like we're drawing all these deeper meanings um allowing for nuance to be nuance, allowing there to be complexity and something that seems so simple, you know, uh, 
you know, uh, tempo changes, sound changes to like even visually him being taken away. Like I could see how there are those layers um, that may be unintentional on his end or maybe intentional, um, but how I could sense the spirit then moves to give us even more meaning of what is happening within him and all of us to some extent. Cause I think you're right. There's a, his, his honesty and vulnerability is something that I think many of us sometimes wish we could do. And if we do do it, it's still something difficult to do. Yeah, no. And I, and I think uh, as much as, you know, really going deep into his music, allowing it to make us ask these questions can be really spiritual, spiritually grounding, spiritually nourishing. I, I think that's worth saying on the opposite end, if you don't, listen to it with that kind of mature consciousness asking those questions it could also become you know detrimental to one's spiritual growth like it could again like i'm saying this having worked with young kids who do listen to him a lot and when they hear certain crazy things that he's saying they're like oh yeah i want to do that and it's like again i don't think his songs are meant to be taken literally but if without somebody like if you're young without somebody guiding you helping you to ask those questions I think, yeah, like it can become a huge distraction. It can lead someone towards certain dark things. But at the same time, you know, I see a lot of adults, again, especially parents of kids I know, who are like, oh, Bad Bunny, that's the devil's music. Don't listen to that. And that's not a solution either. It's, I mean, there's something inherently fascinating about his music. There's something appealing. So rather than saying, you know, just listen to it and do it, it would do whatever it makes you feel, or, you know, you can't listen to it because that's evil. No, it's like, okay, you like the song. What does it say? You know, what, what is true here? What it, how can this help you deepen your, your uh, journey towards understanding yourself and of God? With, with that kind of questioning, I think there's, it can unleash such goodness, such um, can allow us to grow. But again, there's, there's that tension. The tension is between good and evil, uh, between uh, self-awareness and distractedness. It's always present. know yeah and what you're sharing reminds me of um like you said uh when i was working with youth in my previous call Mm -hmm. um i would have uh, what i would call um cultural breakdowns and we would listen to music and kind of um holding on to uh niebuhr's understanding of spirituality of engaging with the spirit juice with with our breath um you know, what values, beliefs, and practices do we see arise from these songs? And I purposely would tell all the parents, we're going to be listening to music that may have cuss words. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be bleeping them out. Like, we're just going to listen to what, where they're at. This is only for our, our, like, juniors and seniors, but yeah. parents knew. And we would guide them in these, conver- I would guide them in these conversations with, ultimately, my hope would be that they would have a critical lens. Mm-hmm of like what values, beliefs, and practices arise. And, and songs like, at the time, Thank You Next was a really big song by yeah. Ariana Grande. Yeah. And right, like, like you were saying earlier, if you're listening it to literally, maybe it sounds like, like, thank you next to my, you know, like, thanks for my, being my ex, but I'm moving on, like kind of like an F you. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we listened to it together, they came to these conclusions that were like, wow, she's, she's actually expressing um, what she's learning from each person and giving them dignity like even it, it, when you want to like really just maybe burn your ex she's not doing that and then more importantly she's learning that before she steps into a next relationship she wants to love herself yeah um, it was really cool to see the teenagers do that but I think that's right there's a, a what you shared earlier um, how do you help because if you were just to listen to the songs literally I can see how that can be a really hard tension to live into because I've heard those same things about Bad Bunny from, from both my parents and, you know, from family members who are like, es la música del diablo. You don't want to listen to that. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to a certain way, yeah, it could be. It, it can lead you towards spiritual darkness, sure, but it doesn't have to. And it's what you're saying about, like, I don't know, listening to something like Ariana Grande, Thank You, Next. Perhaps she may not have intended to say anything spiritually profound, but when you're starting from a basis of faith, or through the, looking through the lenses of faith, rather, like 
it enables you to see certain really beautiful things, certain things that are true, um, even if it wasn't intended by the artist. Um, and it's, yeah, so like that kind of work you're doing with young people, like that can be so transformative for them. Yeah, well, and I remember the one that stood out the most was if, if she's getting to loving herself and we believe in the Imago Dei, pervading God's image, you know, something that self-love is something that teenagers really wrestle with. What does it mean to listen to the song and step into that moment of, I should love myself, probably because it's tied to my belief that I'm made in God's image, but also because it's part of it. God loves me. I should be loving myself. Yeah. Like you said, there might be more profound meaning than intended. Yeah. Um, but th that critical lens can be so uh, illuminating. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're going to have to wrap up in a second. So then I would want to ask you, Alex, where should we tell people to start off? If they're unfamiliar with Bad Bunny's music, what should they listen to? What should they think about when they're listening to it? Well, what, what do we want to leave people with? Um, <clears throat> what they should think. Well, I think where should they start? Gosh, uh, I'm a huge fan of albums, listening to albums. Mm -hmm. um, maybe... I mean, El Apagón stood out to me, which is probably what I would share with someone. Okay. And I would, I would, I feel like I would, if you asked me that question, like at a dinner party, you would realize you'd be stuck with me for like another 15 minutes because yeah. I would try to give you all the context yeah. um, before you stepped into it. I, I really do, um, my understanding of Un Verano Sin Ti is, is like what we've been sharing already, that, that tension, that nuance that exists. For me, it felt like the, the, the summer, the album of the summer, yeah. yet like Absolutely. every summer, summer ends. Mm -hmm. So like it, it can never be fully fulfilling. And the fact that it's called Un Verano Sin Ti, there's already a tension in the yeah. title of the album. Um, I, I tie that when I was, you know, reading and, and writing about it to ecclesiastical faith, this yeah. tension. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell them to start with Un Verano Sin Ti um, with that kind of maybe lens. Um, though I don't have maybe a specific song. I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody needs to listen to Un Verano Sin Ti um, in its entirety. Um, what I also would recommend, I mean, I think Rolandito is one of the most spiritually profound songs, so I'd definitely say listen to that, look at the lyrics, but also, and I think going all the way to the opposite pole, Safaera, because lyrically it's outrageous, like the things he's talking about, you know, don't take those literally, please, but listen to the rhythm, because what he's doing there is he's combining these samples from old school reggaeton songs he's taking from Jamaican reggae songs like you know the famous murder she wrote then he's taking Missy Elliott um so it's this amalgam of different songs that it there's something very carnal something very like earth earthy about it. it's like you feel like something is uh something creeping up on you as you hear the beat building up and I don't know, like it awakens. I would just say like, as you listen, like think about like what kind of emotions is it awakening in you? What is it making you think about? Um, don't just get lost in the rhythm, but like think about what is, what is it saying? Because um, there's so much there. It's a crazy song, but it, it's loaded. Um, yeah. I will say, um, Stephen, one of the, one of the uh, takeaways I'm getting from all of this is, um, one to go back one I think this morning I feel like I want to go back and listen to this now uh, but specifically to ground myself uh, because I, I think I tend to stay in my head and maybe some of the people listening are like me you're like analyzing it you're enjoying it like yeah it's fun I'll fall down my windows and I'll listen but I'm listening to like some of the some of the words that are sticking out maybe some of the paradigms mm -hmm. being presented etc versus maybe just step, taking a step back because I even mentioned this in the in the paper I wrote of like, you know, Un Verano Sin Ti is filled with merengue and yep. these traditional Latin sounds that have such a deep historical history in our quest for liberation, our 
our acts of resistance, you know, et cetera. And I mentioned that like almost like as an aside, look, look how he's taking in this like catalog <laughs> of like so yeah. many sounds oh, into yeah. an album versus saying to myself, if you were to just ground yourself for a moment in the bodily um, resonation that occurs and mm-hmm. the reactions, uh, the responses, I think I'm getting a takeaway today from just take a moment to just ground yourself in how these beats move and feel. And I really am appreciative of that one simple lesson that I think is actually quite profound. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and what I'm getting from, from reading your essay, which I think everyone should read, but also what we are saying now, um, the potential for music in general to become a form of political resistance or to at least to make commentary on things going on in the political realm, because again, El Apagón is a great song to dance to, but it also can raise these very big questions about what's going on in the government, what's going on socially. Um, and, and as you said in the article, like you, looking back at old salsa, looking at Joe Arroyo, like this is part of a much greater tradition. Um, yeah. So that's, that's an important thing to consider. So, um, but before we go, Alex, is there anything you want to plug, any way that you want to tell people to find your work or, or reach out to you? Sure. So I am on Instagram. It's really simple. Reverend Rev Alex uh, G Evangelista. If you go to my Twitter, it's just Rev Alex, but instead of the L, it's a one. Um, I post about Presbyterian world stuff and Bachelor Nation. So if you're a Bachelor fan, I love critiquing that from a, from a sports um, perspective, which is really fascinating. Um, and of course, on Facebook, I think it's just Alex Evangelista as well. Uh, I was mentioning this article. You can find it on the Presbyterian Outlook, um, why you should listen to Bad Bunny. Awesome. Okay. And yeah, and so I'm, I'm on Twitter, Stephen G. Adubato. My Instagram is Cracks in Pomo, which is name of my, my podcast and my, my substack, Cracks in Postmodernity. So if you want to read my writing, you can find it all there, the podcasts on YouTube, Spotify, etc. cetera. Um, but, but that being said, Alex, uh, I really enjoyed this. It was an enlightening conversation. It's a lot of fun. So thank yeah. you. Likewise, thank you so much. And thank you to HTI and Open Plaza. And thanks to everybody listening. All right, bye for now. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.